Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Automated, our weekly podcast where we talk about robots and how to build them and occasionally make fun of AI-powered stable coins that we discovered while looking for robotics companies, which definitely doesn't exist and definitely isn't a great website. I, of course, am Stefan Seltz-Oxmacher, CEO and co-founder of Polymath and one of your hosts here. And across from me is someone who is wearing the same shirt as me, but in a slightly more faded shade of Polymath Black, which is a trademarked color similar to Vance of Black. Who exactly are you, sir? I think I think the color name is Heather. <laughs> when did that become a color name? Was that always a color name? Uh, you Can know I what? get a yay or nay from our producer of whether that was always a color? Two thumbs up. Apparently, that was always a color. I maintain that it's fake news. So I'm, I'm the <laughs> color stand for this week, I guess. <laughs> it's a stable coin. <laughs> This is Automated, our weekly podcast here at Polymath, where we have two parts of it. First, we play a game where we spitball creating a robot, and then we talk about a problem or a challenge in robotics and technology. And this week, because I want to be like everyone who's ever posted anything in any tech press ever, we're going to talk about Apple's new VR headset and what it, what, you know, what does it even have to do with robots? Some might argue. And others might argue vociferously that it has a lot to do with it, but I don't know who those would be. So that being said, let's get going. We'll start with our game this week, as always. We'll draw two cards. And this and- is a simulated starting a robotics company. So, yep. so Ilya, like what, what place, what setting are we going to be building a robot for? All right. So we're building a robot this week in... Amusement parks. Amusement parks. Excellent. And and I think in mus- amusement parks, this was made for it. This card, a humanoid robot. Amazing. I I I as a side note, it seems like there is currently, driven by Tesla, a massive push for humanoid robots. I feel like I'm hearing about another $80 million funding round for a humanoid robot company that like has a heavily cut demo every other week. So, yeah, maybe some of them can get into the amusement park game. I mean, you you know, I got to give a huge kudos to Disney in this space. Mm -hmm. You know, they do a lot of interesting things. But one of the very, very interesting things that they do is open source or at least open publish a lot of their internal research in robotics. Mm -hmm. And they've done a huge amount of humanoid robot research. Yeah. You can go look at papers and videos so and I stuff. Wanna, really good I stuff. I want to define the setting more because I don't. we've talked about Disney too much. Yeah. As someone whose plan is to convince my hopefully soon-to-be-born child that Mickey Mouse eats children, I don't want to talk about Disney that much more. Um, <laughs> so I think we should be talking specifically about like a Six Flags type of amusement park. So it's, not like a, not a character's. All right. Not a, but like a roller coasters, BB gun, uh, guess your weight, like uh, funnel cake, that type of amusement park. That okay. So what, what what's the scope of this person, this robot's activities? Like, why would it have to be a humanoid? Which is a valid question for every single humanoid Impossible out there. Impossible to ask. Literally every humanoid. It's humanoid is like, because it's better for it to be humanoid. Why legs? It's cooler. It's always the question. Why legs? Legs would be great. Actually, you know what we could do. There's a video I see in Reddit every 30 months of a Ferris wheel in a developing country where there is no motor on the Ferris wheel. And there's just a person walking, walking in the middle. And then another guy climbs up to start walking. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe like that's a good use of a humanoid robot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why would you replace that with a hundred (laughs) dollar AC motor? But like to rant like just a little bit, like Tesla's factory humanoids, right? You know what factories don't have? Stairs. They are flat grounds. 
entirely leveled to within a millimeter for nope. the use of these machines. You need a humanoid. So why the hell do you need legs? You need it. I like for the cost of legs, mm -hmm. you can have an entirely other robot also on wheels on the second floor of your establishment. <laughs> you will have literally double the productivity and, and way and, and more, more battery payload. power. Way more battery power, way yep. more stability, way more payload, way like why legs? So all right, how about this? Here's here's what I think we could do. So I imagine I imagine it's six legs. So there's a lot of bespoke, rather like one-off mechanical devices that need to be maintained, many of which are in dangerous settings. And you don't want to turn the roller coaster off because if the roller coaster's off, people you know don't buy tickets or whatever. So this is a way that you could maintain things, kind of have a have a you know humanoid right. or maybe not even humanoid monkey robot yeah, yeah yeah climb up on the side of the roller coaster replace a bolt oh the ferris wheel motors died out you know time to crawl on that for a bit to get that running and meanwhile walk and pull it so it goes yeah. just like those guys in and do video. like some number of like hyper specific tasks that you need to climb things to get to there's actually, this might be one of those disappointing games where we end up with a real solution. With a real product. I think we found the niche for humanoid robots. It's monkeys in, in, amusement, in parks. amusement parks. I mean, to, to divert like to one real application I've ever seen is Hydro-Quebec publishes some work on automated power line maintenance mm -hmm. robots. Hydro-Quebec is surprisingly not a water company. It is just the power company. That's what Canadians in, call power in Canada yeah. is hydropower. It's actually, if you have ever plugged in an outlet in Canada, water comes out. It is literally greenwashing, <laughs> to be clear. But anyway, they have robots that climb their very high power, high voltage yep. power lines. Yep. And most of the time they're sliding along the cable. But yep. when they get to a power pole, they have to climb over the power yeah, pole to the next cable. Monkey That's robot. Like, that, yeah, that is the only like actually useful case of our legs I've seen. Yeah, monkey robot. But yeah, no. Okay, so we need we need a system that... So like grabs are on. So it maybe it's a and like I'm thinking full humanoid has in dexterous hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even dexterous feet. Yep. It can climb the roller coasters while they're running. Yep. To inspect things and see how things are doing. Yep. And with with its that great dexterity can do some let's say first order maintenance. Replace replace this bolt, apply this solvent to get this rust off, whatever. And even better than that, mm -hmm. they're going to have to have good IMUs. Yep. So once it's done, it rides the roller coaster, records the G-forces, and compares it to its database. There you go. It's like, done. There you go. The the machine is backed with intolerances. Now, the problem is with all of this and with the climbing, its battery life is probably going to be approximately 34 minutes. Oh, my God. It has. <laughs> That'd one, be incredible. One would say that you could do all of this with a quadcopter better, but that that one would be wrong. No, 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 no. You need a Neo Evangelion style power cable that yep. clips off to give you five minutes of autonomous runtime and yep. otherwise just drags this power cable behind it. Yep. So how how do we go about bullying? So what what what's the current state of let's say hand gripping dexterity? in in the world of robotics from your vantage point so, so there's two extremes nasa has a really nice valkyrie robot that uh -huh. is that they put together really quickly and is like actually frankly astonishingly good so in that extreme you're simulating a human hand mm -hmm. and it's very complex but it can fit in a spacesuit glove in their case and it can manipulate very finely the downside of those kind of grippers is they tend to be very fragile it's like you bump them against something so you, you over talk them a you break a robot hanging off them no, exactly. Yeah. The other extreme is is grippers like Robotech grippers, also I think a Quebecois company, that are basically 
more like steel grippers. Okay. Like they're they're more they're more simplistic. They'll have maybe three fingers. And their dexterity is pretty poor, but their strength is incredibly high. And that's more what you'd use for climbing. I don't think today Envy's built equivalent human dexterity hands with equivalent human strength. It's you know, kind of one or the other. You know what you could do? Like sloths just have like a couple big hooks, like mm-hmm. you know, like three toes that like are just... Yep. You could have hook hands and hook legs for climbing and then use, then have a, then much like the bad like owner of Anakin in episode one, have like two little mini arms That's exactly what I was that thinking. come out to actually yeah, use yeah, tools. Yeah. yeah, have four strong big grippers and yep. two little mini like well, like, dexterity ones. Four grippers, just like hooks. So yeah. then your actual climbing task is more just like getting the hook on and clamping in yeah, place. exactly. Like a carabiner. You still, you carabiner still need hands, a clamp. Yeah, yeah. Which is the far more outdoorsy sequel to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Edward Carabiner Hands is, you know, it's still a love story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horror story when your carabiner fails mm-hmm. while rock climbing. Yeah. The- no, but yeah, yeah. So, so that actually makes sense to some extent, right? Yeah. And you have like small dexterous hands to do the, the fine work. Yep. And you'd probably actually put most of your sensing kind of in the chest area. Could you pre? To see. Could you like save compute or something by like pre-mapping where to climb up? Like maybe paint certain bars a certain color if like you can just you know do a repeat motion. I wouldn't even worry about that if you're going to pre-map, which yeah. makes total sense in an amusement park because your roller coaster is yeah. not changing shape. I would just pre-map. So don't yeah. worry about painting colors. Don't worry about perception. Just your robot knows its position in space. Mm-hmm. And so it knows it's it's this many X, Y, and Z meters yep. away from the next grip point. Yep. And so it gets there and it's within a millimeter or two tolerance. Yeah, it but it's a carabiner. It. Exactly. Yeah. So you wouldn't even need much perception if you pre-mapped it. Yep. So, all right. So we have Edward Carabiner hands. Climb up. It can do inspection. I mean, probably releasing a, a light bolt is not that big of a deal with the little mini arms. I think most of these, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but but with high you vibration. You haven't done much roller coaster maintenance? Only in Roller Coaster Tycoon <laughs> when I was about 12. <laughs> Love that game. But just like in that game, you don't want to send people flying off the roller coasters at inopportune moments. So I suspect most of these bolts are actually either welded in place or like glued in place yeah. or, or safety wired in place. But like, I'm so tired of inspection robots. There's so many inspection robots. I want doing robots. Doing robots? Like, maybe we can just spray a solvent sometimes or, like, repaint something or, like, How about spray ass- chemicals that are probably carcinogenic, but it gets bird poop off. How about an acetylene torch? Yes. And it just slowly just melts, like, oxygen lance. Yep. It just slowly melts out the corroded bolt. Yep. And replaces it with another one. Yeah, okay. Uh, that 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 settles my like do something robot. And can you imagine how amazing it would be? You're on this roller coaster and you're flying by, and there's somebody arc welding on the <laughs> roller coaster as you're flying by. That'd like, be a little bit of extra fear. No worries, people. I'm just removing a structural <laughs> bolt. Do not be alarmed. It's like in Bob's Burgers. You know yeah. those bolts aren't necessary. I think the hard part is not the robot. It's developing the the infrastructure so that the software, the like 1980 software that runs the the roller coaster tells the robot when a roller coaster is coming so that the, ro- the robot can turn around and wave at people as it drives by. <laughs> That's actually not that hard. You just do, do you track the motion and and move the head and the little mini hand. Yeah. Or- move, 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 you know, pretend to be in the way as the roller coaster is coming at you and then <laughs> dodge out of the way just at the perfect instant for that extra bit or, of terror. Or I like the idea of just waving the hook-like carabiner claws at the children on the roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. Just wave. And haunting their dreams for the next 12 years of their life. All right, so... We have a robot that needs essentially four structural
structural arms that can carry, each of which can carry the entire weight of it, carabiner arms, two mini arms with an acetylene torch and maybe like a spray bottle for something else and whatever. And, and maybe just a tool belt. Yeah, tool and, belt. And, and, and human know. hands-ish. And then, you know, sensing, compute, and battery. What's this thing weigh, you think? I mean, if you want it to be sane, mm-hmm. because you, you could always ratchet up the torque and just make it really slow like a sloth. Yeah. But if you want it to be this sane, probably be like... Move. 50 to 100 kilos, oh, somewhere in that What's that, that in freedom units? Let's say 100 to 200 Okay, 100 to 200 pounds, yeah. 150 pounds. Yeah. Similar similar in weight to a carny. S- s- yeah, similar. To, a, to a, a poorly nourished carny. To the average average American from uh, 20 years ago. And with the six robot arms, compute, and battery, what do, you, what do you think we're costing? I mean, if I had to guess something like a Valkyrie, which is equivalent, the, the NASA one, probably a million and a half. That's Well, that's a, so that's a million and a half dollar robot. But like it can't climb vertically, and my guess is this is a four million dollar robot. I feel like a two x over that is generous to ourselves. Yeah, there there was a project called Robo Simeon, which mm-hmm. did something similar. I think it was MIT. Don't mm-hmm. quote me. I'm sorry if I got this wrong. And it's like yes. actually Caltech. Suck it, Virginia Tech. Yeah, whoever whoever actually built it, but it was doing similar climbing stuff. And but that was a university project. Yeah. But if we're talking like actually deployable, yeah, probably like a million to two each. Okay. <laughs> so if you were a theme park owner. And you no longer want to employ those pesky carnies who are low cost and disposable and no one notices if they go missing, or those highly rated companies that your insurance requires maintain your expensive equipment, you should consider Edward <laughs> Edward Carabiner Hands. 3,000. The newest robot coming to a roller coaster near you. It will wave hooks at your at your children. It will suddenly torch out your structural components. But all in all, it will do a great job until it breaks down in approximately two months. The first time it rains. <laughs> all right. With that being said, let's talk about the topic. And the topic of today is the new... Apple Vision Pro. They're, uh, is that what they're calling it? The Vision? Yep. Oh, man. Vision Pro. That is... You know that they don't that think so, highly of their uh, ambitions. <laughs> it is so obnoxiously Apple to call it the yep. Vision. So the Apple Vision Pro, for those of you who do not obsessively review the LinkedIn feed, is Apple's VR headset. They've been working on it for about seven years. My guess would be like low, low ball... 800 people, 1,000 people have worked on this project. Upper limit, probably two to 4,000 people. It is a $3,500 VR headset. I think it's more AR because what they're actually doing is they are using cameras to show you what's around you, but they're showing it to you on a series of 4K screens in that are right up and close to your eyeballs. And then they weirdly are also showing your face to passers by like some sort of creepy sleep mask. The, very, uh, very Black Mirror. Very like that. Yeah. That feature, the like show your eyeballs to the outside world, so weird. <laughs> so so oh. fair a fair question might be, you know, why are we talking about a consumer hardware device that does not move on its own on a autonomous robotics podcast? But I think that this is a perfect allegory for the robotics space. You could make the business case. We could also talk about how a lot of the sensing and compute that goes into these things the is sensing identical and compute is identical from the robot space. The hardware, much of the hardware is identical outside of the lack of motors. Yeah, exactly. Um, and from a business perspective, people have been trying to make VR a thing since the mid-1980s. And there was lots of, you know, VR boys. There was 
Google Glass. There was a leather vest wearing founder of Oculus, who then may or may not have been fired for politics and no one really knows why. There's been a lot of people trying to make VR a thing. In COVID, when we all started from working from home, everyone thought now's the moment. Facebook rebranded itself just to get caught up in the hype of LLMs and move away from uh, the metaverse, you know, a couple months ago. The next butterfly flew by. So what I think is Apple's been working on this for seven years. Unlike most launches where they launch a mostly complete thing and then scramble for six weeks until it launches, they launched this in May and it doesn't go doesn't start shipping until sometime in 2024, which means it really doesn't work. And maybe there's just no ecosystem for it yet. And this reminds me, not to be too mean, a lot of the Astro program that you worked on. Can you remind everyone what that program looked like? Yeah, so I think Amazon still sells it today in some limited quantities. Is this kind of home assistant robot to give Alexa a embodied machine to drive around your house? And because they weren't sure what use case, it was kind of a smorgasbord of media center and security device and home companion and like visit your grandma and like all of these things. Really and cool feed robot. Your dog, like if all they this. build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And did they come? I mean, I haven't worked with them for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> what well, feels like decades in startup <laughs> time. But I, I have not seen a huge motion towards We it. do not all have Astros yet. No. Is a, is a way of putting it. No. So, like, I think, like, what I wonder about with this, with the, the Vision Pro, is maybe this is the last hurrah of the the tech investments of the quantitative easing era. Maybe this is the like, hey, Apple thought this was going to magically work. Somebody six months ago said, all right, we've been seven years in. The world's gotten over VR. Let's launch it and see if it works. And if no one gets excited by launch day, maybe it gets quietly shelved. It gets killed. I, so remind us a little bit. Why did quantitative easing have such an impact on the tech scene here? Yeah. So basically the only part of the U.S. government that is functionally or is politically willing to do anything about the economy is a central bank. So rather than spending money when times are bad on building roads, the only group that can do anything is a central bank who can only really lower interest rates. So we had a decade of, you know, the lowest interest rates in the history of mankind, which led to a bunch of funding into startups, which eventually took yield out of Dropbox or HelloSign 5.0. And then that money went into things like robots and VR and and 3D printing and all these other fun things, many of which... And crypto. Yep, especially crypto, especially AI-powered NFT stablecoins for robotics. But all of that just went away. And it seems like a lot of those have... A lot of the folks working on that have been stuck, have been caught holding the bag. And I think like, you know, a line that I often think about with things, with companies like Google and Apple is when you're starting a startup, people will say like, if this is such a good idea, why can't Google do it? Why can't Apple do it? I think in some ways, we're about to find out whether or not Apple can do VR. And if Apple can't do VR, maybe a conclusion is that nobody can right now. Yeah, we're just not there yet. Yeah. The, the fundamental technology is not there. And maybe the technology is not there. It's just not possible to do in a, in a way that's cheap enough to be valuable to people. Yeah, and I think the parallel we draw here is we, we talked about this a few episodes ago where due to this economic kind of downturn and, and funding environment, 
robotics is going to have a hard time, but that sensors have progressed and moved along and made things more possible. Yep. But they haven't yet turned it into the phase of like wave a magic wand and it just works. Yep. Right. We're not at that stage. And and I think VR similarly is in this like it's extremely difficult to get good optics, yep. good displays, good sensor fusion so that your display doesn't make you motion sick. And like one thing I am impressed technically with their thing is that they have video feed, which is digital, obviously, because they're doing compute on it. And it gets to the user apparently from reviews with zero latency or, or you know, subhuman detectable latency, which is a very neat trick. Yeah. If they can do that, that's a lot of compute and optics and, and advancements, which just the, even fundamentally wasn't possible 10 years ago yeah. or 20, right? It, for sure, 20, probably not 10. There's just no, no such compute. So I think we're kind of in that similar stage where Apple is trying to do these things with cutting edge pieces, but they're they're making it in the like wave a magic wand and the market is there for yep. apps for VR. And like and if anyone can can yep. wave that wand, like yep. Apple's probably the only group that can wave a wand to make VR happen. Like Google yeah. clearly can't, it didn't succeed with Glass. Facebook clearly hasn't been able to with Meta. So if anyone can, it's Apple, but it's telling that Apple seems to only be thinking about workplace apps. Like this $3,500 price point means that like, you're not buying one of these for your four-year-old anytime soon, unless you happen to have a billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. And the same with the rest of their kind of professional lineup of displays and computers and stuff, which the pricing is extremely excessive unless you are in that particular field, like mm -hmm. video production, mm -hmm. where a calibrated display is going to run you six, $7,000. So an Apple yeah. one being like eight, Who cares? not that impressive. Yep. Right. So yeah, I, I think so too. I think that they're they're kind of going in the technical direction. And I think again, to draw a little bit of a parallel, robotics is also this like, aside from home robot vacuum cleaners, this like not for consumers, not ready for normal developers world. Yep. Yep. It's very much industry focused with specialists who know I what mean, the hell they want to do. I mean, it. we were just talking about this in the, in the in the office with the team. And someone was like, oh, but like there's plenty of apps for, for Oculus. Like, yeah, uh, Oculus is as real of an ecosystem as robotics is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is to say there's companies, there's people who own them, there's people who use them, but like, basically nobody in the real scheme in the real level of anything the concentration of like gaming geeks and i count myself as one of them <laughs> in san francisco is not representative of the planet-wide distribution <laughs> of gaming using geeks vr stuff willing to spend 750 to 1500 additional dollars yes for a cool vr setup exactly and it's it's like i you know side note i love vr i really had a lot of fun with it but like it is not i mean you were yet. early adopter of early early of oculus one yeah i was one of the early back kickstarter backers of oculus one i got an oculus two for free because i was so early they got me yep. a little signed copy of it and i like i had a blast with it but it is was strictly for gaming <laughs> it's yeah. strictly a toy and it wasn't really usable outside of that space so we've talked about the pessimistic case of like if it if it just doesn't land what happens what if it does work? What could it mean for robotics? What could it mean like for yeah. us? What could yeah. it mean for our customers? What could it mean for our partners? Well, I, I think when you and I were talking about this earlier, I kind of harped on, I think AR is actually a much more interesting use case for them, mm -hmm. but they can't, nobody has the optics or know-how to build extremely usable AR quite yet. Yep. Like the best cutting edge stuff is, is like sort of a monochrome display, sort of in the corner of your eye, yep. which can like maybe show you some time and like whatever. Yeah. You need the optic package to be sane, which is why the headset that Apple made, I'm sure they spent 
a billion dollars, <laughs> literally, literally speaking, a billion dollars to get it as thin as they did. Yep. But it's not a millimeter thick. Yeah. Regardless. But I think if we abstract away from their particular hardware, I think the AR piece is going to be much more useful if you have this kind of, let's call it ambient compute around you where okay. you, where you don't necessarily have a particular phone or a particular laptop but you have a display that's on you like glasses or contacts yep. or whatever and they sh when you look at something they show you the specifics of that something yeah so for robots or for other embedded machines if you just could look at the robot and it would say my status is x i'm doing y yeah and you could easily command it either by voice or by gestures or by whatever to say like okay go go clean that area yep that I think is is an enabler. I think you could also itself. have a very naturally, like naturally understandable UI for managing a robot fleet. Exactly. So if I think if you think about like overseeing a fleet of robots at a mine, you could have cameras and sensors up, and you could just kind of virtually fly around your mine and say. Oh, how's the work face going? Huh, that looks good. Let's stitch over and use the cameras on the excavator to see what the consistency of the rock that was just blasted, what that looks like. Okay, that looks good over there. Let's go take a look at the at the processing facility. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you've ever, you know, if any of you listeners have probably worked with specialized tooling for some sort of software process, like, I don't know, a spreadsheet even, yep. for example, right? A spreadsheet abstracts away what you're doing and puts you into the framework of the spreadsheet. Yep. And so similarly for robotics, any of these interfaces we have today of look at a top-down map and tell the robot to go from point A to point B yep. is an abstraction of the reality. Yep. Whereas if you had it in a way where you could just, if you're a farmer, yep. if you look at the field and you see your vehicle over there and it highlights it and it says, this vehicle is doing X, here's the path it's going to take in the next 10 minutes. Yep. Here's its load over the last five hours. Yep. That sort of stuff is much more embodied in a way that you don't have to learn yeah. how to use this web page. It's easier for people. It also, it it, it lowers the, the load on designers. The load. Yeah. On, on designers to make a good UI, exactly, yeah. an abstraction, right? Yep. And and because abstractions are good, and if you learn them, they're very powerful. But there is a friction kind of step to learn the abstraction. You you need to learn how to use Caterpillar Mindstar exactly. versus the what's it called system that uh, that uh, Komatsu has. Right, and and so which is inherent. Like no matter how good you are at your job, if you arrive at a mine site and you're you're a mine operator, for example, and you you query the Mindstar system of what's going on. Or you say, hey, Joe, what happened in the last hour? That hey, Joe interaction is always going to be faster and higher fidelity than any MindStar system can because it's a natural built-in interaction. What do you think about VR, AR for teleop? Yeah. One, one thing I used early, early on my, my little Oculus system was to do a teleop of the PR2 so that I would move my hands using Microsoft Connect mm -hmm. and I would see what the PR2 sees and as I moved, the robot would repeat my motions. And it was it was rough, but it was accurate enough to kind of cut a ribbon at a ribbon cutting ceremony. It kind of looked like it had Parkinson's, but that's a that's a problem of my filtering algorithms. <laughs> that's not a problem with the tech. Very, very cool. I think again, the problem is twofold. One is motion sickness is extreme. Why? Why does motion sickness happen? Because you're you're and, and to be to be clear for the listener, if in case you have not used a VR headset. There's a big problem with motion sickness of a lot going on. Even with like really high fidelity teleop, if you are like at Starsky, if we had our drivers watching three big screen TVs intently, you know, being, resp being responsible for the vehicle's safety as a teleoperator, they would get motion, motion sickness sick. after two to four hours. Yeah. 
So, so there's there's three main problems actually. To, to my understanding, I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm not an expert, but like to my understanding of, of playing with the system, one is your brain is tuned to the specific dimensions of your own body, mm-hmm. how far apart your eyes are, how far away your inner ear is from your eyes. And when you move your head and your neck, you know that you this motion gives this amount of sway in your vision. Hmm. And so your brain corrects out a lot of motion. Like when you're running, it doesn't look like shaky cam footage, huh. right? Like your brain is subtracting out that motion huh. and it can only do that tuned to your particular height and weight and running style and all those things. Yeah. That's one problem. The second problem is that... Does that mean that, like, if you did a really good 3D survey, like, say you, like, stuck a couple cameras on someone's face and had them run on a treadmill, buy some scenery, you could train a... You could tune a model to give them less motion sickness with VR? It, it would help. Yeah. But the but the but that feeds into the second problem. The yep. second problem is when you're running, your inner ear is also part of that sensory system yep. and it's compensating for that jostle. So unless you physically jostle the person up and down the same amount as the video is doing, your inner ear and your eyes are going to disagree. Couldn't you just spoof the inner ear somehow? I mean, like we use, we use headphones to spoof our ears. Yeah. We use, we use $3,500 Apple VR cameras to spoof our eyes. Why not, you know, have little drums on our side that like spoof our inner ear? I don't think anybody's built a small. <laughs> Stefan is currently tapping himself in the face repeatedly, just for listeners out there. If you're, if you're curious, in case anyone sees a bruise on my face later, Ilya did it. Yeah, yeah, definitely my fault. I haven't seen research into small units for that. Honestly, the only stuff I've seen is the motion simulators, which move your entire body yeah. to get that effect. It's you, you bring up a really good point. I wonder if there is some kind of electrical stimulation, yeah. but that's a, that's a side note. Yeah. But like the mismatch between uh, inner ear and video. Any way that we do electroshock therapy to people who sign up for it, quote unquote, willingly, works for me. We'll I compensate got, you with polymath I freed stickers. up my weekend just for it. <laughs> and then the third problem is that low latency is not zero latency. And your yeah. brain interprets moving your head and then the image moving as you're ill. Like that is a that is an illness sign. If you've ever had a serious like inner ear infection or fever and you move your head and the image kind of feels like it drifts somewhat slightly like that, you, that is your brain telling you you're sick. So those three things put together, that kind of structural Yeah, we just get a neural link and yeah. zap that part of the brain. It no longer will think we're, we're, we're ill. I, I hope so. No more car sickness. You know, in, in 2,000 years, I'm sure we'll have this solved. <laughs> in two years, I really doubt it. And in between is anybody's guess. Like, that is my range of confidence. But yeah, like, basically, I mean, like... Th- but this, this all just feels like another reason why VR is such a great parallel for robotics. Because, like... The problem everyone's been focused on in VR is like, how do you display stuff into your eyes in a way that doesn't fully suck? But like some of the problems that are actually needed to solve to get there are how do you how do you decrease the latency? How do you spoof the inner ear? How do you tune the view such that it kind of understands how you move as a person so that the 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 computer system isn't fighting your your own brain as much? And it seems like similar to how polymath can speed you up if you just want to be able to drive from point to point. At some point in time, there will be teams that just focus on like those specific problems. Well, I think I think that's what Apple's done here, right? Coming back to the theme here, the reason I think they built the headset the way they have, where it's a video feed through instead mm-hmm. of just clear glass, yep. is that they process the video to make micro adjustments to account for those things. Yeah. I suspect the low the focus on low latency mm-hmm. definitely. 
the fact that it's strapped to your face means when you move your face, your inner ear agrees with the video feed. Yep. And the fact that it's so close to your face and that they measure your face as part of the setup means that they're adjusting for that particularness of how far your pupils are apart and all those pieces to make sure that it perfectly matches up. So they're, they're trying to minimize all three of those main sources of motion sickness. Yep. And also by, by giving you real feedback from real cameras in your environment, you register against your environment. So your inner ear agrees with the direction of gravity from what you see. Yeah. Yep. So these are all really good tricks. And, and also a thing I notice, I, I, a problem with night vision goggles is with how heavily they're weighted in the front, it also often makes people motion sick. Yep. And it appears that the Apple headset, the batteries in the back, and probably specifically yeah. for that problem. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, And, and the thing is, even if they get everything perfect, still a portion of the population is going to get motion sick with their headset, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> there are people who are really sensitive yep. to flickering lights and, yep. and I'm a person who basically doesn't get car sick. Yeah. Whereas my You'll wife really struggles to look at directions in the car if she's a passenger. Exactly. Yeah. So, so to draw another parallel, there will be use cases in the world where the robot is the wrong solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hopefully they get smaller and smaller. But like to start with, you should really target the easy, obvious robot brings an ROI case and and components can help you out case rather than like freaking humanoid robots in a factory. God damn it. You know, to close on to close on on a, on a note, I, I don't know if we can say who I heard this story from. So I'm just going to say I heard a story. I heard a story once from a group that did a VR demo controlling a, a robot. And they had a big, you know, corporate partner come in for the demo day. And like the, the demo was essentially you put on Oculus headset, you do some things to control a robot to do some stuff as descriptive as it can be. There was probably eight to 12 delegates from the big corporate. And the big problem was actually getting them all to be able to turn on the Oculus. Yeah. And like getting them each to put the Oculus headset on and like adjust the lenses. And like one of the most senior guys had glasses. And that was a whole thing of whether he can do it at all or not. And it stopped being a robot demo and started being an Oculus headset demo. Yeah. And I think that in, in all reality, unless these headsets are so cheap that all of us just walk around with them, it's going to be hard to, to work day in and day out off one of these. Yeah, especially its current iteration. I just having used headsets for a long time, mm -hmm. as much effort as they put into thinness and lightness and whatever, it's going to become super uncomfortable after an hour or two. But, just like unmanageably uncomfortable. But nevertheless, if anyone from the Apple program is listening to this, we'd love a pair to try it out and prove just how wrong we were. Yeah, I would. I will write the code to hook it into one of our robots yep. happily, yep. just for fun. That would be a real fun demo to do, yep. even if we throw up during it. Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> if we throw up. <laughs> and with that being said, Ilya, what are we talking about next week? Well, considering how many episodes we've missed, uh -huh. next week is currently a Schrodinger's box of, we'll find out next week if it does exist or not. <laughs> so when you figure out that quantum question, yep. we'll get back to you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us and hopefully you'll hear more from us soon. Sorry for missing a few episodes. Talk to you next time. <laughs>